Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. Scripture tells us that we're to put on the full armor of God, right? It says, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes, right? For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. I see some of you have been memorizing. Thank you very much. Powers of this dark world against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the, what? Belt of truth buckled around your what? Which is the? Mind. Very good. Having the breastplate of righteousness in place, and then it moves on to the next verse being... Uh, uh, with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness today a little bit. And uh, uh, I want to get to a practical piece. And then um, sometime when Chris allows me, because next week Dr. Uh, Doug Weiss is speaking, and after that it's transition weekend. And uh, so some, somewhere down the road, I'm going to finish this. Every time I get up, I'm going to do this and uh, church renewal weekend and that kind of thing. We're going to finish this because I want it and it'll be all packaged, okay? So don't worry uh, about that. Father, we just ask now that you'd speak to us about this matter of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Two kinds of righteousness I want to talk about. I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking this because I think it's so absolutely critically important because I think we... We sometimes see this wrong, and sometimes people are seeing what this breastplate of righteousness is wrong. And we've, uh, so I've got to set the table for this uh, a little bit. And there's two kinds of righteousness. There's the imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. Now, first of all, what does righteousness mean? Well, God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. Now, here's the problem. We were found to be not right. That's why Paul says in Romans 3, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not what? One. I was a quality control inspector among a variety of different things when I was going to Bible college at, a, at an industry in Elmira, Ontario called Relmac Industries. And I would wear one of these white coats and I had these devices or measurements uh, devices, and I would go up to these different uh, uh, big presses where they were making these different uh, pieces and products, and I would come with these instruments and a spec sheet, and I would measure it and see if they were within spec. If, if I found something not to be in spec, I, I condemned it and threw it away. If I found a certain percentage in that, uh, in that amount that was being produced right then, in that batch, that was out of standard, I would condemn the whole lot. And I think that probably helps us just a little bit to understand what's going on here. The law was God's spec sheet for us. And we were found to be far out of limits and uh, out of the standard set for us. And so we stood condemned. But instead of throwing us out, he instead planned to make us 
righteous or within standards. Is that amazing? <laughs> like, I, you're going to be preaching at me this morning, all right? That is absolutely incredible. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 21, Paul said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might be, uh, become the righteousness of God. We call this imputed righteousness. No, no, don't turn off just because you heard a word there that bothers you. We'll define it here a little bit. God took our sins and imputed them or put them on to his son. See how easy that is? He imputed them or put them on to his son. He put them on Jesus' account. He now, Jesus now owed what was due my sins. So he was punished for them. Hallelujah. But that's only half of what imputed righteousness entails. It's true um, uh, that, uh, that this left me, my sins taken away, but that's not enough. Before I can stand in the presence of God, I must be positively righteous as well. Is that true? Not just forgiven of my sins, but that just kind of makes it neutral. I need to be positively righteous before God. In Romans 5.19, Paul said, For as by the one man's disobedience, who was that? Yeah, go ahead. I see, I want to make sure you're following me here. By one man's disobedience, who was it? Adam. The many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, who was that? Jesus. The many were made or will be made righteous. I have not kept the law, but Jesus kept the law perfectly, which means he is righteous before the law. True? So far, so good. So God not only imputes my sin to Jesus, but he imputes Jesus' righteousness, his perfect obedience to the law, to me. Oh, that's a wonderful, glorious truth. We were singing about righteousness and, and the blood and all that this morning. This imputed righteousness, we were singing about it this morning. I couldn't believe it. I, I was just so excited about it. Therefore, God takes Christ's perfect obedience, righteousness, and imputes or clothes me with it. He puts it on me. Philippians 3 says, not having a righteousness of my what? Own. That comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, the righteousness that comes from God, not myself, from God, and I receive it how? By faith. Exactly. God clothes me in this when I repent, Acts 3.19, and receive it by faith. Those two are two sides of the same coin. It's not just believe. Even the devil, uh, even the devil trembles and, and, belie and believes. Believes and trembles. It's believe with repentance. The two always go hand in hand. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I can just, what? Receive it. The result is that as I stand in God's presence, God does not see me. He sees the righteousness of his son covering me and clothing me. And when he sees me like that, he pronounces or declares me to be a just or righteous person or holy, sanctified. When we say saints, sanctified, holy. It's all coming from the same word hagios in Greek. And he declares me just or righteous, which is where we get our word 
justification for it. So we're seeing these different elements of, uh, of, uh, of what's going on here. Paul said, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were washed from your sins. Hallelujah. You were sanctified, and you were made righteous. It was imputed to you, and you were then declared just or righteous. That's amazing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So being justified means we're declared righteous. Now the law, the spec sheet, back to, back to that. Now the law cannot touch me. Hallelujah. Because if it could, I would be what? Condemned. If it could, I would be condemned. But the righteousness of Christ and his perfect obedience to the law has been imputed to me. Not only have I, my sins been forgiven, and so God declares me righteous, and I am no longer condemned. Romans 8 says, Therefore there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what makes me a Christian. Scripture uses an umbrella word to describe all the facets of what is happening at, at this event. And it's the, um, the umbrella word is what? Salvation where we get our word salvaging from. God's in this salvaging business. And we've been looking at, at aspects of what's happening when he's salvaging us. This is what Christ does, what? For the believer. This is what he does for the believer. That'll be important, what we're going to see in a moment. But this cannot be what Paul was speaking about uh, when he said, put on the breastplate of righteousness, for he was addressing Christians. And they already are clothed with Christ's righteousness. You don't have Christ's righteousness uh, on, on you one day, and the next day you don't, and then the next day you do, and then you don't. No, 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 no. When you are, when you are saved, when you are salvaged, you have Christ's righteousness on you. Amen? Absolutely. So then... Paul can't be talking about that, and that's critical, because that makes all the difference in the world, as we're going to see, in what it means to put on this breastplate of righteousness. Some people, they pray this little prayer, and they say, well, Jesus, I'm putting on your righteousness today. That's not what he's getting at. And if we don't understand that, then we'll miss what we should be putting on this we already have, but we're supposed to be putting something else on. And this is where we're going to now talk a little bit about imparted righteousness. So what is Paul getting at? See what he said about himself in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Was Paul saying that he was perfect and sinless? Yes or no? But it appears like he's saying it. Was Paul saying that he had become perfect? No. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, he said, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. See, he said, I haven't already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's a fascinating statement. But let's, let's move on. See what the writer to the Hebrews says. And by that will, we have been made what? 
holy. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the, blood, uh, uh, of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And four verses later, he said, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are what? Being made holy or becoming holy. It's a process there. So in the one sense, he says, you have been made holy or sanctified. On the other side, he says, you are in the process of being made holy or sanctified. Which is it? Ah, we get caught in the conundrum of the either or. It's a both and. It's not an either or, it's a both and. On the one hand, he says, we have been made holy. On the other, we are being made holy. Imputed righteousness is what he does for me. <laughs> Imputed righteousness is what he does, what? Help me, church. For me at salvation. Imparted righteousness is what God does in me after salvation. That's what we're talking about. He begins to work this righteousness of Jesus within me because it's not, it, he makes it a part of who I am. How does he do it? You see, at salvation, something else happened. Not only were we forgiven, we said that we were forgiven. Amen? Not only were our sins imputed or put on Jesus. Amen? And that happened. Not only was his righteousness imputed to me. Amen. Not only were we then declared just and righteous and holy, but something else happened in this big umbrella word called salvation. We were also born again, also called regeneration. This is an act of the Spirit by which he imparts new spiritual life to us. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the... Spirit, the water there that he's talking is probably re referenced back to Ezekiel where he talks about he'll sprinkle them with clean water uh, for the, the washing of their sins. That's a metaphor that's often used. So there we see it again, the washing of sins. But they've also now been born again of the Spirit. We see the Father with a plan. We see Jesus in carrying out the plan. And we see then the Holy Spirit working a regeneration or new life principle in us. In 1 John chapter, uh, so, that we will, uh, uh, so that we will begin to grow. When we are born of the Spirit, he deposits a seed of new spiritual life. That's a God life in us, which begins to grow in us. 1 John chapter 3 verse 9 says, No one born of God makes practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Because... We have this spiritual life growing in us. We cannot live in a pattern or practice of continual sinning. Now, John doesn't mean by this that we're sinless. Because in two chapters before that, he says in verse 8, and he says it again in verse 9, but he is something similar. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um... What this all means is that we now have the power within us that makes it possible for us to keep yield from yielding uh, uh, to a life of sin. We have that power. 
and we can grow in it. This involves a definite break from the ruling power and love of sin so that the believer is no longer ruled or dominated by sin. So before salvation, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your sins, transgressions and sins, after salvation, look what he says. Romans 6, 11, he says, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin. In other words, now you're dead to that, and you don't have to, that does not have the power over you anymore. Wow, that's incredible. So then to be dead to sin is to be set free from the power of sin. Eventually we'll be set free from the presence of sin too. Amen? Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, ask your spouse if, if they're looking forward to that. <laughs> when we're free from, from sin, amen? <laughs> that means we have the power to overcome acts or patterns of sinful behavior in our lives, and that's why Paul is able to give the following prohibition. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make it, uh, uh, so that you obey its passions. Our task is to grow more and more in righteousness or sanctification just as we previously grew more and more in sin. Notice that we are to participate in this. That's why, hence the imperatives. And you see it throughout the, uh, the, the epistles and the gospels, uh, how we're to live. The imperatives do this because he expects that we can do that, because we have power uh, to do that. And it's, but it's also a process. Paul said to the church at Corinth, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Do you see that? Growing in it, in the fear of God. In Galatians 4.19, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. He's forming in us the Lord Jesus Christ. One day we will be fully sanctified and righteous and perfect, but not yet. Philippians 1.6, which is the verse right after the two verses that I quoted and were on those plaques, he said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on till completion in the day of Christ. Wow, that's coming. In the meantime, we are to grow in righteousness or sanctification. And this requires our intentional participation and effort. Not the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us. That takes absolutely no what? Work or effort. None. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith in this. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works lest any man should boast. But now he's talking about this practical, internal growth of righteousness and sanctification. It's a process that's taking place inside of us. And that requires intentional participation and effort. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. He said in Romans 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as what? Instruments of what? Righteousness. But it's an imperative. He says, I want you to do this. 
present your body as an instrument of righteousness and quit doing the other. So it's, it's like put off the old self, put on the new self. Put off, you know, quit um, offering your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Start offering your body as instruments of righteousness. So it's something we participate in. Now we're starting to see what Paul is talking about, is getting at when he says we're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now we're starting to get a glimmer of what he's trying to say. The righteousness that Paul is talking about here is what is being formed in us. It's our character. It's our fruit of the Spirit. It's godliness, holiness. It's righteousness. Practical righteousness that we're growing in. It is critical to understand this so that we know how to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's not this simple prayer in the morning. You know, Jesus, I'm putting on your righteousness today. That's not what he's saying. We already have that. We must do the hard work of growing in righteousness and character so that it will protect us against the wiles and schemes of the devil as we quoted a little bit earlier in Ephesians chapter 6. So, how is the breastplate of righteousness, how does it protect us? And I'll just give a, a few examples from uh, Scripture, and then I want to get to the, uh, a practical piece before we, we run out of time, because that's, it's really, really critical that we get to that. So let's look at a couple of examples here. Well, Moses, at the end of his ministry career, uh, God had told Moses he was supposed to speak to the rock. Remember that? We've talked about that before. And, uh, but he was so fed up with the people. <laughs> All they're murmuring and all they're complaining for so many years and in an unguarded moment, uh-oh, did you catch that? In an unguarded moment, he was supposed to speak to the rock. He took his stuff and he smote the rock. He lashed out in anger. And um, the water came out and God honored him with that. But uh, God was so displeased because Moses had dishonored the Lord before the people. And so he disqualified him from further ministry in the sense of taking them into the promised land. He said, you're not going to be the one because you dishonored me before the people. See, it's very important because by dishonoring the Lord, that's a big deal. The devil wants to dishonor and discredit Christianity and the church and the world, uh, I mean, and the Lord. He's always trying to dishonor them. And here, he caught Moses with his breastplate of righteousness down. And boom, he got him. And uh, because he was supposed to be an example of obedience, and now he hadn't been, God had to make an example of him and show him, you know what, if, if I allow you to lead it in, people will think, well, then they can just go on sinning. It doesn't make any difference. There's no consequences, so there's going to be consequences for your sin. Uh, because of that. And so... It was because he had dishonored the Lord. And you know what character trait or piece of righteousness in the breastplate of righteousness he was lacking? Self-control. He didn't have self-control on that day, and the enemy got him. Amen? All right, here's another one. This is a positive one. Job. And one of the devil's schemes is to take us out during storms. Uh, he has all kinds of schemes, all kinds of wiles, all kinds of plans and strategies. All kinds. Here he used a storm. And uh, we'll see in Job this positive example of how the breastplate of righteousness works. In verse 8 of chapter 1, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? 
There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. Did, did, did God mean by that he had never sinned? After what we've just discussed? No, not at all. A man who fears God and shuns evil? According to God, Job had his breastplate of righteousness on, and Satan resented this. Job was an example to everyone else, and this had to stop. The devil wanted to attack Job and discredit him and discredit God and dishonor God, and he was intent on doing it. Foolishly, the devil taunted God, charging that Job would only be loyal so long as he received material blessings from God. And after receiving permission from God, the devil attacked Job. Job's immense animal herds and all seven of his children were killed in a devil-inspired storm. That'd be a devastating thing to experience, wouldn't it, church? It'd be just unbelievable. How would Job fare in the face of such opposition? Well, there's a passage coming on, but I want to back it up even a couple of verses uh, uh, before that. It says, at this, Job got up, tore his robes, shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Is that incredible? Satan couldn't get him because his breastplate of righteousness was in place. And that breastplate of righteousness, that righteousness that was holding him from falling was perseverance in this particular case. And we see self-control, you know, the one that we said was lacking from Moses, that's in the list of some of the character traits that we see in the New Testament. So is perseverance. It shows up in some of those same lists. But it didn't end there. Though Job's breastplate remained firmly on, this level of opposition was enough for his wife to remove hers, as she said to Job. And, uh, I mean, she, now she, because then the devil went back and said, okay, so, uh, you know, you, you told me I could go this far, I could wipe, you know, take out the family, I could take out the animal herds, let me touch his skin, and then he will disown you, and he'll dishonor you. God said, okay, you can touch his skin, but you can't touch his life. You can't kill him. Okay, Job goes out, I mean, the devil goes out, and he sends this, this awful disease with ghastly sores, and that was enough to finish off Job's wife. Her breastplate of righteousness came down, and she says to Job, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Look how Job replies. He said, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And then it says that again. In all this, Job did not sin by what he said. Uh, by what he said. Is that amazing? It was firmly in place. And the devil lost the match. He couldn't dishonor God. He couldn't dishonor God before the heavenlies, and he couldn't dishonor God on earth because the breastplate was firmly in place. See, that's what, what's so critical. We as God's people are called to be holy and we're to put the breastplate of righteousness and we're supposed to grow in this matter. That's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're supposed to grow in righteousness and character traits intentionally. Intentionally. 
We participate in it. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We need him for that. No question. I'll show you how in just a second. But we have to be part of that. Because if we don't, take a look what happens. For example, uh, in, one, in some of the lists, like uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we have uh, another set of list of character traits and stuff and what love is, but that's all part of the same thing. It's not self-seeking. Uh, in 1 Timothy, it's not quarrelsome. But when you, have, uh, when you have people in their marriages, in their families, in churches who are self-seeking or quarrelsome, and uh, they haven't grown in righteousness, what happens is you have division. And you have fighting and you have quarreling. And that's why people divorce and families are split up. And that's why you have immorality. Purity is another one. They become immoral. They do all kinds of things like this. And God's name is shamed and dishonored. Amen? That's what happens. So I want you to take your little character sheet because I want to say something about this character sheet, uh, about this grow your character thing, that I, uh, I want to highlight another piece. I highlight different pieces of it. If you flip it over to the back side, number five on the first section says... Character helps us win the war against the devil. Well, that's what, a little bit what we talked about just for a few minutes today. Now I want you to go to the second section. The midsection talks about steps to initiate character growth. And I want you to notice number 10. We talked about number 9 uh, a couple of months ago. But look at number 10. It says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Uh, keep in step. Live and... Uh, Paul says that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step by the Spirit. What do I mean by that? Or what does he mean by that? How do you do that? Here's what will happen. So let's say you've, you've, uh, you've picked a character trait, and you've uh, been listening and praying. You've been praying for that trait. You've shared it in your cell. Uh, you've, uh, you know, you've confessed bitterness, and you've set your eyes on eternity, and you've told somebody, and they're praying for you, etc., etc., etc. As soon, do you think God wants to answer that prayer? Church, help me. Do you think he wants to answer your prayer in growing in righteousness and character? Yes or no? Oh, the answer is an automatic yes. You will get that prayer answered. So what he will immediately do is set up a series of tests for you. To help you. Because that's the only way you can grow it. Because you've got to, you've got to exercise it. You've got to establish new patterns. So this is what happens. So, uh, here I was praying for self-control. So, very next day, or maybe the next minute, I get my first little test. And I'm about to respond like, oh. And have, has this ever happened to you? And it's almost like you're an, it's an out-of-the-body experience. You can almost see time suspended, and you get a chance to choose. How am I going to respond? Because till then it was just automatic. That's just how you respond. And now suddenly there's something that just stops you for, for a split second. Just up. And now you have to choose. <sighs> you want so badly. Okay, you finally choose the right thing. And your choice creates an action. See, the Holy Spirit was helping you. He set the test up, but then he also alerted you when the test came and gave you an opportunity to make a choice. He does that. Is he amazing? Yes. Okay, so now you have an act. 
he says, very good, okay, <laughs> you, you, need, you need to do this, you know, you can't get on a bike once, you need to keep practicing it. So he sets up another test. About five minutes later, it's usually your spouse, <laughs> they walk into the room and your next test is on. And you want to respond a certain way and all, oh, choice. <gasps> and you make your choice and you do the right action, but it's hard. Is it hard? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, it's very hard. And then the next test comes the next day. And the same thing, but it's getting a little bit easier because now you've got a little bit of momentum on your side. You've got a few successes on your side. You're getting kind of excited about this. Yes, Lord, I want to grow in this. This is, this is awesome. So you take another action. <laughs> oh, I made it three in a row. I've done right. And then there's four. Maybe you slip one, but you get four out of five, which isn't bad. And slowly, your actions become what? A habit. And now you keep growing in this and, and, and in the habit, but you're still thinking about it all the time. <sighs> but, the, but you're making it faster. It's, it's becoming a habit. This is what you do, but it's still not natural. <laughs> like you're thinking about it. It's not just your tendency. And finally, that habit, you quit remembering that you were trying to work on, let's say, self-control. One day you find yourself, you just automatically kind of react like that. You are now, you've moved from habit to disposition or tendency. That is your natural tendency, is to respond this way now. You see what's happening? Your will is being formed. That's character is being formed. Do you see how that works? So, that's important that you understand that where you keep in step with the Spirit. You ask Him, He'll set up the test, but He'll alert you to it. And then He'll give you the power to make the right choice, but you still got to make the choice and walk it out. If you do enough of those, eventually you create a whole new pattern and it becomes part of your character in the breastplate of righteousness. You're putting it on. Amen? That's how you do it. Church, is that exciting? And then the devil gets fuming mad because he can't rip us apart and he can't dishonor the Lord through our lives, not in our marriages, not in our families, not in the church. He can't do it. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to grow in righteousness? I know you do. Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to this, to growing as, a, as individuals and as a body in this thing called the breastplate of righteousness. Help us towards that end, and we know that you will do it, and so we say thank you already that you're going to hear and answer that prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.